This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Everyday Theology, where we don't tell you what to believe or why to believe it, but rather explore our Christian beliefs and why they matter for us in relation to God, to creation, and to others. My name is Aaron Ross. Welcome back to Everyday Theology. Today, uh, we're going to have a discussion on something that can often be confusing for people who grew up like I did, or even like Chris did, in evangelical and Pentecostal spaces uh, that don't necessarily follow the liturgical calendar. But now Chris and I both, Chris being much more um, uh, longer standing in the, in the liturgical tradition than I, but since we both now from our Pentecostal background find ourselves in liturgical spaces, have been engaging much more with things like today's topic, Advent. Uh, what it is, why it matters, and why is it not Christmas? So, <laughs> was that good, Chris? It was good. Uh, nicely done. Uh, yeah, thanks. Also, hi, Chris. Hey, man. Good to see you. It's good to see you. We're Chris and I have been uh, we've been on like complete opposite schedules. So we're just excited. Uh, I'm excited to see your face. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you survived Thanksgiving and. It looked like, from what I could tell from social media, you had some you had some good time. Well, yeah, we actually went on our um, our fancy fancy baby moon. Yeah, uh, down to that's what I, I could tell. Down to a, a, an old cabin getaway. Good so, for you. It man. was good. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of good time. You have a good Thanksgiving. Mostly, we had sick kids, so oh. both of my boys had COVID, and then oh no. After they got over that, they got some other like um, strep or RSV or some other kind of sickness. Oh, so mostly we spent that caring for them. And now I'm in Washington, outside Seattle, Eastern Washington, actually, um, giving a lecture tonight. Nice. So, but Julie got to come with me. So we are getting a little bit of a getaway. You know? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's I, I always enjoy when Kristen gets to travel with me places she's like one of the first things she actually got to do with me is go to norway but now we've yeah. got you know this baby coming and i'm like well that it does I don't change know. things the things equation. are changing that's exactly right hey let's dive in and i'm just going to start by asking you some questions as a much more uh learned man than i in these liturgical <laughs> spaces um i had a conversation with someone the other day who is in the Anglican tradition and longstanding in the Anglican tradition and basically was recounting his uh, Sunday service experience, even at his own Anglican church, where he said, you know, he was kind of newer to the church. And he was like, I was kind of confused because we were doing Advent and then another person came up and talked about Christmas. And then another person came up and talked about Epiphany and like, 
there was just like, I, I was like, he kept going. I just, what, where happened Advent? Did we skip it? Like what happened? Right. Like, and for most people they'd be like, well, isn't that all the same thing? Right. Like most Christians would kind of be like, mm, okay, mm-hmm. why does that matter that you're talking about all three or it's all the same thing anyways. Right. So maybe if you can kind of talk people, talk us through in our conversation a little bit about what is Advent? What makes it different from Christmas? What do we call epiphany? And this season that we're in being really beautiful, how is it highlighted by actually looking at all these things separately? Yeah. So I definitely think I encourage anyone who, who isn't already familiar with it to, to start doing their own kind of research on the Christian year, the Christian calendar, and, and not just Googling it and reading Wikipedia articles, but they're, they're excellent books on the topic. And, and then talking to people who, who are familiar with kind of the rhythm of the Christian year and how those movements teach us the story of Jesus. And that, that I think, is probably the place to start with someone who doesn't know anything about it. That the Christian year is a kind of, it's, it's a way of teaching the story of Jesus, right? So right. It, the Christian year is organized around the shape of Jesus' life, right? So Advent is the season, that's the, actually the beginning of the Christian year. So not January 1st the first Sunday of Advent is, and we're coming up on the third Sunday of Advent. So just a couple of weeks ago, the Christian year begins and it begins in this period of waiting of expectation, hope and preparation for the coming of Jesus. That is Christmas, right? So Advent is sometimes called a little, a little Lent. And I'll say something about Lent in a moment, clarify that for those who don't know the language already. But Advent really is a time of waiting, expectation, hope, and preparation for Christmas. Christmas is, of course, the beginning, right? Jesus is here. Right. Christ is born. And after Christmas, the next feast on the calendar is Epiphany, which celebrates both Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration, the moments in which he is made known. So if Christmas is his coming— Baptism, where the Lord says, this is my son, my beloved. And then on the Mount of Transfiguration, where again, the father speaks and says, listen to him. This is my beloved. Listen to him. There's this kind of revelation of who Jesus is. And then we move from kind of those, that early cycle of Advent, Christmas, Epiphany, toward the end of Jesus' life. We begin to get ourselves ready for Holy Week, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter, and that kind of focus on the end of Jesus' life, we have another period of preparation, which we call Lent, right? And Lent is this longer season, not not just four weeks, but a long stretch, 40, 40 days of fasting and repentance, preparing our hearts for Good Friday, for... Yeah. Jesus betrayal and suffering death and also of course for the celebration of Easter and of obviously after Easter we celebrate ascension we celebrate Pentecost and all the Pentecostals in the room say amen and then amen. Pentecost <laughs> and then Pentecost opens out on what's called ordinary time which is 
in a sense, the low part of the calendar, right? So if the high days are Christmas, Easter, Pentecost, then ordinary time is ordinary, right? It's just the regular normal time on the calendar. Yeah. That ends, and this is a fairly new feast, but it ends with Christ the King, which is the, the last day of the Christian year is a celebration of the Lordship of Christ. Christ is Lord. Christ is yeah. King. And then we start again with Advent. So yeah. really, you're just talking about the, the pattern of Jesus' life from the prophecies about his coming to his birth, to his revelation, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the pouring out of the Spirit enthronement as king and then we started again every year right so that that's the that's the rationale for it and christians have followed it in one way or another right from the very beginning yeah and and it's it's a way of it was a way that was natural for them because as jews of course they were already shaped by israel's feasts right, right. they already know the rhythm of passover and pentecost and so on so it's the the trans the transition there is not from non liturgical to liturgical. They were already liturgical people, right? But now they're reimagining that liturgical experience around the story of Jesus. Which maybe to to express, I think that was a great kind of overview in that cycle, and maybe my own experience. Not that my experience is the experience, but in my own experience, what's unique about that is coming from a non-liturgical tradition, I was often told that the liturgy of the high church was dead, Mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, uh, going to a Catholic church was, it's a dead church. Any of your, your mainline Protestant churches, they're dead. Right. And I think that was a common reprise for Pentecostals because of this idea of baptism of the spirit and this exuberance in worship and quite a few other things. Right. Which, which is unique that I think for both of us finding ourselves more liturgical spaces and not to speak for you, but for me, when I first started learning some of these things quite a few years ago about Advent and Christmas and Epiphany, all of a sudden it, it awoken in me this idea of how deeply the liturgical calendar is meant for spiritual formation Absolutely. Yeah. And how, how actually life-giving it is that I had always kind of just said, ah, that's just what Catholics do. Or, ah, that's just what, you know, that's just yeah. what that group does. And look at them. They're not, they're not speaking in tongues and their churches aren't exploding like my evangelical slash Pentecostal trendy churches. Yep. Yep. Um, but for me, and maybe you can kind of focus in on this as a, just kind of a, discussion for us is in what ways if if advent is a spiritual formation moment right this idea of waiting mm-hmm. what ways both should we approach that as how is it spiritually forming us and for those who may not be in the circles what do you do how do you advent right like how do you engage in this season as a means of spiritual formation yeah so let, let me start with I, I think there's a misconception in our circles, right? The ones you and I have known best that we're not liturgical. Those people, <laughs> right, but, right. But the truth yeah. is we absolutely have a liturgy. Oh, for sure. It's mostly unconscious and we don't give it that name, but 
our services are absolutely scripted. Our understanding of the year is absolutely scripted. You know, we have a sense of the high days. A lot of that we just borrow from the culture at large, right? So Mother's Day, yeah, Independence Day, whatever, Veterans Day. Like there are ways in which we have a kind of wrapped our church's ministries around what we might call the national calendar, right? right. Rather than the ecclesial one. And even but, microcosms of the church, we have our liturgies, right? Like oh, I could probably no say doubt. this and most people would say, yeah, that's my church. It's you go, there's a welcome, there's three songs, there's tithing, there's a fourth song, there's a message. Yep. And, you that's know, exactly maybe right. an altar call if you're a Pentecostal church, an old school Pentecostal church, or just say, salvation prayer and see you next week. Right. Absolutely. And so we all, exactly. And we're all scripted and there, you know, a lot of scholars whom you and I, you know, work with and have studied with a lot of Pentecostal scholars have kind of sketched this, right. It's, it's all, you know, I'm thinking of like Daniel Albrecht's rights in the spirit of Mark Cartlidge's work. Mm-hmm. The, the, they all point to the ways in which we, all of our churches are liturgical, right? The question is not, are you liturgical, but how, and are you aware? Yeah. And I actually think we, it's true, right? That liturgies can be dead. They can be carried out in lifeless ways. Yes. And that should concern us. That absolutely should concern us. But two, two qualifying remarks. One is it's possible to be spirited, but not led by the spirit. Right. In other words, you can have high Uh energy and not be working in the spirit. Right. And there are ways in which it's possible to be led by the spirit and spirited, even when you're following a script. Yeah. And, and we see this in scripture at every turn. I mean, Jesus, as was his custom, goes to the synagogue and takes the text that is assigned for the day, the lectionary. Yeah. And while he's reading, it says today, this is fulfilled in your ears. Right. So yeah. Jesus is kind of working with the grain of the liturgy. He's showing up on time in the place that's assigned, reading the text that's been given. But because he lives in the spirit, right, that script is inspirited. And he's not right. merely emotional, but he is his affections are inflamed by, by the spirit. So yeah. I think once we've kind of made those qualifying remarks, then it clears away a lot of the smoke. There's a lot of confusion for a lot of people that if you just open the windows and the doors up, the smoke will clear out, right? That we're we're not a part of a, a Christianity that's non-liturgical, and not all people who are liturgical are somehow lifeless and right. and dead and cut off from the dynamics of the spirit. And because because we need to talk about the other danger, right? Like if that is a danger of liturgy that mm-hmm. I grew up learning, this is the danger of liturgy. It's lifeless, which very much agreeing with you, right? It has nothing to do with, is it lifeless? It can be done in lifeless ways, right? Clearly. So can our evangelical Pentecostal church services. What the flip side of that, that Pentecostals, and I don't want to get to an aside, but I just think it's important to kind of highlight it. The flip side for that for Pentecostals is the danger of pretending the spirit, yeah. And pretending Think, life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Thinking that just because we're spirited, that somehow that's the Holy Spirit. Each right. Time. That's like that's as long as the as long as the worship is exuberant, the spirit must be there. As long as there's that's people true. in the pews, as long as people are coming down to the altar, it must be the spirit. Well, that's a very dangerous attitude yeah, when it comes absolutely. to what is the no. spirit versus what is what is not. Right. Yeah. And, and there's something I mean, 
really absurd about the idea that if people don't show up, it must not be right. Or if people are showing up, it must be. Oh, right. it's I mean, very absurd. Yeah. <laughs> like like, like you're, you're not taking yourself seriously if you're thinking like that. Right. So, or, or you're blessed if your church is growing as if that's the sign of God's yeah, blessing. Like, right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th- the idea that there might be bad growth, I don't know how that is lost on us. I mean, we all know <laughs> about cancer, right. We all know about weeds. Like it, it's, we, we know, we should know, right. That, there is a there is a way of eating too much. There's a way of of weeds growing wild. There's a way in which your body can can grow. Uh, tumors can form. Right. So in the same way, our churches can grow yeah. cancerously. They can grow like weeds, and they can they can become you know obese. Right. So I, I, all of this stuff, I think, is about clearing away the smoke around the conversation. Yeah. But to your question itself about Advent, I I think that we're always in a sense waiting for God. I mean, that's part of, you know, what theologians call the already not yet tension, right? Right. That Christ has already come. He's already Lord. Death is already defeated. The spirit is already poured out. And yet we still live in the world and all of its brokenness, all, all of it's gone wrong. So we, we still suffer. We still die. We're still tempted at least most of us, I assume you are, I still am tempted. No, I'm perfect. (laughs) But yeah, he's going to listen to this. If she does actually listen to me like, no, he's not. I know. I hear you, Kristen. I hear you. So the, that, when we talk about Advent, we're talking about waiting for God, but remember the Christian year cycles, right? So we come into Advent into a season of waiting, but we know that God has already come, right? So we're waiting on the God who's already here. And the God who's already here is still to come. And we have to yeah. kind of hold that paradox together. And the Christian year is one way of like reminding ourselves of that, right? That it, it is, you know, in, in the Narnia stories, they talk about it being always winter and never Christmas. Mm, yeah. But for Christians, it's kind of always Christmas and winter. Yeah. Right. So Christmas is always here. Christ is already present. And yet we have to learn that it's also winter. And so we have to wait, right? There's a way in which Christ is here and not here. He's, he's already broken in and his will is already done and it's not yet done. And, and that's why like, you know, when we pray the Lord's prayer, which I mean, I guess some people are afraid of the Lord's prayer as being too Catholic, not just the Christian year, (laughs) but, but if we pray the Lord's prayer, then we're every day or every time we're praying it, we're acknowledging that a prayer that is in some way already answered or right. give us this day, our daily bread is tomorrow going to have to be prayed again. Right. Yeah. This yep. there is a way in which the work of God in the world is always here. It's always present. It's already accomplished and it's still to come. And yeah. Advent is about learning. I think that Attention. how to wait with yeah. God, for God, which I think is really, really forming for Christians. If we allow ourselves to sit in that space. Yes. For instance, you know, far too often we have Christians on both sides of that, that kingdom that is, that is now, but not yet where there are so many who act as if the kingdom is fully realized. Yep. But even now, I would think that's a smaller group. More often than not, we have those who sit in waiting 
Pentecostals, for instance, we often, especially growing up, it was always very much Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Jesus, yeah. And it was always about this thing in the future. And very rarely did we think about, well, the kingdom is here. And what does that mean? Right. Yeah. In the sense of saying, well, if the kingdom of God is supposed to look right, th- that part of the Lord's prayer, your will yeah. be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right. If it's supposed to look like this in the kingdom, then I can enact that to the best of my ability today here while I still wait. That's right. Yeah. And so right? like John, John Wesley I think it's helpful here in which he talks about, you know, there are people who get carried away in what he calls enthusiasm, right? In which yeah. they're, they're, we might say, they think all of their prayers are already answered in full. So they, they think they only need to pray thy kingdom come once and it's fully present, right? There's yeah. no waiting for them. It's always Christmas and never winter. Yeah. But there, it is also possible to have a kind of formalism. That's what, that's his word for it in which you are, you, you know, you have the form, but deny the power of it. Mm, yeah. And you, you live like in a state of constant winter, never Christmas. And, you know, Wesley is saying both of these extremes need to be rejected, right? It, it is, we somehow have to hold together that God's will is being done and it is yet to be done, right? right. The kingdom is here and it is not yet here. Christ is Lord. And yet, we must wait to see all of his enemies put under his feet. Yeah. And I, I think that this is really hard for American evangelical types because we, we don't do well with paradox, right? No. What we tend to do with paradox is, is think of them as extremes and then try to find some middle ground rather right. than integrating them and holding them together in tension. We, we try to solve them by simplifying to some middle, some comfortable right. middle that is actually unlivable, right? And so it, we, we need to hold them, we, we need to affirm both at once, right? Christ right. is here and Christ is coming. The Lord's will is done. The Lord's will is yet to be done. And if we, if we, if we don't know how to do that, right, we will veer into what Wesley calls the, you know, the kind of the extremes of enthusiasm where we start to confuse ourselves with God. <laughs> like, yeah. like we think we have God at our disposal, that we can leverage the spirit at any time to accomplish what we want. And I, I think there are all kinds of people in our tradition who do right. that, right? In terms of healing and miracles, evangelism, right? They're, they're trying to harness the power of God and use the name of God and faith in God to, to get the outcomes that they want. And they haven't learned to wait. They haven't learned restraint and patience and the the waiting that Advent teaches us about. But it's also true, as you're saying, in our own tribes, that on other fronts, we are passive when we should be active. Right? Yeah. We're, we're waiting on God to do something God is waiting on us to do. Right. And, and so Advent, I think, is the season of learning to wait rightly, right? Not yeah. wait yeah. in passive sense. Right. And not to rush ahead of God into our own action, but to kind of find the right rhythm, the, the, that the heart of the paradox and live with, with, live with that tension. We, we can almost think of it. Again, we talked about Mary not too long ago, but I'm thinking about Mary here in this moment. And especially with the child on the way, thinking about the expectation of Mary herself, mm-hmm. but that expectation of being pregnant also comes with work, 
right? Absolutely. Preparing for the child, preparing labor. You know, yeah. And, and even in the 21st century, preparing the stupid nursery, right? Like, absolutely. like these are things we're not just waiting on, but actually doing in hopeful expectation. And I think that's the tension that we struggle with and why yeah. so many people will be like, well, when God returns, it'll all be taken care of, <laughs> that's right. that's which right. is a true yeah. statement, but that does not take away the work. That's right. And that's why, right? yeah, there's one of the reasons we've got two, two things. One is we've, we have to stop thinking about the coming, the coming of God as something further down the timeline of history, right? Whether it's yeah. a near point or a far point, like we need to recognize that the coming of God is something that's always here. It's always at hand. There's always mm-hmm. a, full, a fullness that, that awaits us. But when scripture talks about the coming of God, it talks about today. Today yeah. is the day of salvation, right? right? This is the moment in which you need to turn to God. So, you know, Hebrews and well, everywhere, Hebrews and Romans are the first texts that come to mind, but it, but it is actually everywhere in scripture that the coming of God is not tomorrow. It's today. It's not yeah. down the timeline, whether just a little bit down the timeline or far down the timeline. It's right here in this moment, in this conversation you and I are having, or the moment that whoever it is that is listening to this yeah. is hearing it like that moment is always the moment of the spirit. Right. So that's yeah. the first thing Were you going to No, I just, funky? yeah. Cause, cause I mean, it's it just, it's striking me, right? Like I'm thinking, and this is not Tillich, but this is essentially an idea, right? This idea of Kairos time that these are moments, yes, right? Like, yes, 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 and yes, if yes. we actually think about it that way, that, whether you want to call them holy moments or whether you want to call them God moments and and all the different ways that even Pentecostals have tried to describe these things. These are moments that the kingdom is being fulfilled. Just not in completion. That's right. 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 Absolutely. All of these moments, which again, I I would hope energizes people to go, this is the work of, of God. And we're participating and we have to be careful not to say we're doing it for God because that is, a misnomer yeah. anyways, but we can doing it with part- God. I mean, right. We can actively participate says. with God in that. Absolutely. Work, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that we are, we're not only joint heirs with Christ, right? Like meaning God intends for us to inherit everything that is Christ's. So you know, whatever is his is ours. That's not only true, but also we are co-laborers, right? So right. whatever Christ's responsibilities are, we share. Right. So we share them in our own way, right? So it's not to say that we do the work of Christ, but we right. do Christ's work with him. With like him. Christ right. is the only exactly. one who can do it, but he doesn't want to do it without us. And, Which, and so we are co-laborers, right? And we are, that's what Paul means when he says we, you know, we're the body of Christ or the temple of the spirit. That, you know, that astonishing passage in Colossians where he says, you know, I make up in my body what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake yeah. of his body that is the church. Like all of these passages are are pointing to this, the way in which while we wait on Christ, Christ is working in us, right? And the, the Christ who is coming is already is already here. And to think Christianly, we have to think all of that at once. We have to think resurrection and crucifixion. We have to think life and death. We have to think joy and suffering, you know, Paul will say, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep at the same time, right? Like you, you've got to integrate right. that kind of compassion. And unfortunately, many of us have been shaped in churches that choose one or the other, right? But they're, right. or, or even worse, 
they try to simplify to some approximate middle uh, that's a weakened form of each of them rather than living again, living in the tension. They're trying to resolve the tension and yeah. you can't and be faithful. Which which is a perfect point of, <laughs> I can't I can't tell you how many worship pastors or writers of worship music that I have encouraged to say, we need more corporate songs of lament. Yeah. Because in church, we should be able to sing a song of praise and a song of lament and hold intention. And honestly, the odd kind of strange thing that I typically get back is, no, 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 the corporate setting is for praise. The individual private setting is lament. And I'm going, that, no, no, no. that does not, not work. That's not what's in, in Psalms. Right? No, that doesn't work in tension of this moment, right? Like in this no. kind of being able to actually do both, yeah. to lament and praise or to lament and rejoice, right? That, that's right. Yeah. And it, it's two, two, two quick remarks. One is I think a lot of us have been given what I, what I think we can call magical thinking, meaning we've been taught that if we can push, if, if we know the right words to say or the mm-hmm. right spell to conjure or the right concoction to make, we know how to get the outcome we want, right? right. We know how to kind of move God's hand. We know how to, we know how to trigger a divine response. And that's just magical thinking at the end of the day. I call and that God that, is the cosmic vending machine. Yes. And right. that kind of thing, exactly. That kind of thinking is inherently impatient. It knows nothing about waiting. It's always trying to make something happen. Right. And what often happens for people who feel the pressure of that, you know, trying to concoct or conjure the work of God it's, it's easy to react against that into a kind of despair where you just give up altogether, right? You resign yourself to whatever happens, happens. Right. And both, again, both are unfaithful. That's not the kind of waiting we're called to, right? We're, wait, we're called to a kind of waiting that is participatory, right? That is joined up with the work God is doing in the world even while it is also longing for the fullness. Yeah. And if we don't learn that, there's just, there's just no way to be faithful witnesses, right? Like, like there's just no way to speak the gospel if we don't speak it with that, with that tension in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's where, you know, I hate to, say it this way because it's just an overused phrase but it it's truly how the gospel's been watered down right like it's it's become watered down to the point that you can have it now salvation is something that you pray and it's it's yours right like you can have you can have all the goods and the blessings now you can write all these things and it becomes so much more about what we can have versus what we do or give yes right or what we wait for So what, what else? I mean, I, you were kind of on a way to number two and you may have forgotten now in our conversation, uh, but what we, what we do and engage or how we engage in an advent. Yeah. So I, I, what I was, what I was going to suggest is that the, the kind, the kind of waiting that we need teaches us that, yeah, yes, we are participating with God, but there are ways in which God is always working with time to bring about good, right? And I think we often 
miss this. It shows, I mean, this word is overused, but this is a way in which a lot of what we think and feel and say and do is, is deeply Gnostic in that we want God to work in ways that short circuit time that cut corners Mm -hmm. that, you know, that, that abbreviate seasons. And I think the witness of scripture and, and that does occasionally happen. You know, in scripture, there are, you know, the, the sun standing still stories or Jesus turning the water to wine or Jesus, the, the miracle of the fishes and loaves, which in some ways, those are those are compressed events, right? Like right. In which something is happening all at once that that could happen, you know, in a sense, could happen if you gave it more time. But God, time is a creature God honors, but right? God made time for us because time is good for us. Right. And time can partner up with God just as surely as we can. And so, you know, you know that cliche time heals all things. Well, I mean, obviously that's untrue in one sense because God is the healer, but right. there's a lot of truth. in Yes. Time is healing. When time is yoked up with the spirit, it does bring healing. Mm-hmm. And, part of being a person who knows how to wait, part of being a person of Advent is letting time have its work, right? So there's that passage in James, let patience have her perfect work. That's a statement yeah. about, about time. You're going to need time. You can't have patience without time. I mean, right. patience is just humility spread out over time. And if we don't have patience, if we don't want to have patience, it's because we lack humility. We don't want to work with God on God's terms. We want what we want, and we want it now. Yeah. And so I think you know, we, we have to stress that, yes, we're working with God. Yes, this is active participation. But we're also working with other creatures, other people, but also time and space, right? That we, we are, we're limited. In, we can't be everywhere. We can't be everything to everyone. And that's how God made it. And part of being persons of Advent is accepting, okay, I'm right here. I'm right now. I'm with you. And I can trust that that's enough. That in terms of what God is doing in the world, I don't have to be everywhere. I don't have to be doing everything for everybody. I can be right here right now with you. And that's enough. Right. And give it time. And I, I think that the, the, you know, the seasons of sowing and reaping, it's striking to me that like in, in the whole wing of the Pentecostal tradition, we've made sowing and reaping into kind of technique, right? If you do this, you yeah. always get that. Right. When anybody who's lived on a farm for a more than a minute, and you and I both have experience of that, you know that there is reliability and some, some set patterns, but mostly farming is about <laughs> just staying put. And enduring mm-hmm. through all the things that shift. I mean, it's about whether right. you can't control. Right. Yeah. You know, like there's so much that's out of your hands. Right. But you're just trying to stay put and stay present. Yeah. Thinking long term about what you can provide and the ways in which you have to prepare now for yeah. what's to come. And Advent, it seems to me, is about that too. It's about the being glad to wait. For God to take as much time as he needs, right? So like in the in language of Ecclesiastes, God has made all things beautiful in his time, right? And we've, we've, there's got to be a part of us that 
is humble enough to, to accept that and, and even yeah. to delight in it, right? God, take all I, the time you need. There's something I think even healing to the idea that we are, some people say living in the moment, right? Or like any of these things, but actually recognizing that Advent pushes us to recognize the kingdom here in our midst, in this place, and waiting for it while working for it, all these paradoxes, but here, not, not constantly having your mind elsewhere. But if I could just do ministry there, or if I could just do something over there, right? Or these people over here. Well, I'm not saying we should forget those, but at the same time, there is something about that limited nature of who we are, that we are individual creatures in a space, in a time, in a place, and this is the way God intended it to be, right? This is what it was created for. It should, I think, be, 100%. I think, freeing for so many of us who grew up in those Christian traditions to being, yeah, you need to be worried about this over here and this over here and praying for that and doing this. And like, it's as if we spend so much of our time not with where we are. You know That's what I mean? Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, there. this is... I know we've got to wrap this up, but I'm, I think I'm thinking about the how astonishing it is, right? That Jesus is never in a hurry, right? That Jesus yeah. comes among us, and 30 years later, 30 <laughs> years later, yeah, he gets to work. And I think part of what Luke is trying to tell us is that, in terms of capacity or giftedness or even sense of vocation, he's ready at 12. Hmm. He's ready yeah. at 12 to do what needs to right. be done in terms of all the measurables. Yeah, smart but, enough, wise enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. At, at least enough to, to wow the authorities in the temple, right? I mean, he certainly, if he were like us, if he were sinful like us, he certainly would have imagined that he was ready at 12. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't act from that place, right? I mean, 30 years, right? 30 years. And we say silence, but that's not true. There's 30 years that are hidden from us, but he was not silent. He's living life, right? He's living life and living life so unremarkably that when he starts his ministry at 30, the people who knew him best said, whoa, where did this come from? (laughs) Right? And his own family thinks, you're beside yourself. Like, who are you? You're crazy, right? Yeah. You're crazy, right? And it looks like, apart from his mother, no one else in his life had any sense that this is who he was. And that, to me, that what is that if that's not the patience of God, right? Lived, lived out. And then once his ministry does start, there is a sense in which he's pulled, you know, driven by the spirit into the wilderness, sets his face toward Jerusalem, but he's never rushing out of the moment. Like, this is obvious when you think about it, but somehow we miss it. Jesus never anticipates what's to come in a way that makes him, that causes him to lose touch with the present moment. Right. right? So he's not thinking about, he knows, right, that he's going to Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be betrayed and tortured, crucified. He knows all of that that's coming. And he does say it to his disciples. Yeah. But you, but never in a way that makes you think he's obsessing with anxiety about what's coming. In right. fact, so when Jesus says something like, take no thought for tomorrow, 
he lived that. <laughs> like, yeah. like he yeah. genuinely, even knowing what his tomorrow held, even knowing I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be turned over, I'm going to be you know, abused and killed. Even knowing that, he did not take a thought for tomorrow. Right. And that, to me, again, reveals the patience of God, right? God is in no hurry. And one of, I don't love everything about his work, but I love the poem, the Deshardin poem, above all, trust in the slow work of God. Yeah. Like we, we have to, to find a way to gear down to the rhythm of the spirit, right? That Paul uses mm. that language of walking in step with the spirit. Yeah. Like, I think the spirit is wanting to walk with us in times and we're trying to run. Right. And I, times we're I, trying Adventist to manufacture also, that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We're, we're, we're guzzling, you know, five hour energy drinks, trying to get, get ourselves pumped up for what we feel like has to be high energy, intense, you know, pressing into the future. God doesn't press, but God, God, and very God many is times, happy to take his time. Very many times. I think we, we enact the work. And it looks like holy work, but it's void of the spirit. Yeah. Which right. means it's rootless, which means it'll wither, which mean, you know, which right. means it's wood, hay, and stubble, right? Not gold, silver, and precious stone. Yeah. Man, I think that's been really great. And I hope for all of our listeners that, you know, we take the time in this Advent season to not rush it. Um, you know, the 12-year-old me is definitely rushing to Christmas, mm-hmm. but the much older me now is very happy for this season of waiting and hoping and longing expectation and and maybe even active expectation. Right. Um, And it's been healing, I think from coming from that. I'm still part of the Pentecost tradition. I'm not saying I'm from it, but it's been healing to kind of recognize the beauty of what this calendar, this church calendar, this moment of Advent, the, the beauty of Christmas, and, yeah. and the awe of epiphany can really offer us in our own spiritual formation and development that is lacking when we just kind of go, go, go next thing, next Absolutely. thing, next thing. Right. Absolutely. So yeah, just think of last thing, last thing I'll say before you, yeah, yeah. before you wrap it up is to say, I don't think that the Christian calendar, you know, Advent, so on. I don't think we have to think about it as divinely mandated, but right. it is really wise, and it would yeah. be foolish to dismiss the wisdom of our fathers and mothers in the faith who learned this is actually really that's really good. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't think anybody should feel any pressure. Like, you know, God is requiring you to observe Advent, but man, why would you ignore right. the wisdom <laughs> right. that has accrued? Right, and oh, that's a whole other podcast for us. How our uh, maybe our, our Western evangelical church has forgotten our our church history or you know ignored the wisdom of the church fathers and not just in their theology but also in their practices and the way they engage and the way they move uh, fathers and mothers I should say well Chris man I'm sure I'll see you again before Christmas I'm sure yeah, I'll see you yeah, in another yeah, yeah. Advent moment. But thanks so much for for jumping on, having this conversation. We hope to be back again even next week. But appreciate everyone, and go in peace. Happy Advent. Happy Advent.